Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 449, where, whereby I've suddenly decided to start the show in a very creepy voice. <laughs> I don't know where it's, it's the, um, it's the, I don't know, like, n- next, you know, window number two on The Price is Right. I, like, picture this voice with, like, hand motions displaying something. Oh, there was full-on hand motions, for sure. <laughs> But then again, there's always hand talking. Did you know that a couple of weeks ago, I actually like scratched my face to the point where it was bleeding and pretty deep. I still have a mark on my face from hand talking, literally. Oh, that is so many kinds of epic. I'm really impressed. Yes. That's that's fantastic. That is the full redheaded stepchild, Hungarian, (laughs) Italian hand talking problem right there i feel okay. like hand talking is why there's no video version of this <laughs> podcast because we just make like anybody who's watching we'd make them motion sick with both how much we both hand talk also neither one of us actually want to get dressed up for this mm, so oh, i'm in my pages yeah that's reason number two all right i'm excited this week is a topic that is not something i've ever had to personally deal with but i've actually done quite a bit of research because I have people in my life who um, work on alternative shifts and I know how much that can affect your health. And so I'm really looking forward to this topic because I think a lot of people can get um, good scientific based information to optimize um, like if they or someone they love is working shift work. And so I just want to thank Sophie for asking this question because um, I know a lot of people are going to benefit from it. And for someone, I guess, are you going to also cover like if it's not necessarily your shift work, but if you're going to have, you know, a, a shift in your schedule, for example, like jet lag or something like that. Um, if I'm assuming some of these techniques and different things that you're going to mention are also yeah. going to benefit us. Yeah. I mean, really shift work and jet lag are the same thing. Um, with the, 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 the only big difference being like what the sun is doing in relation to your schedule. Right. So, um, so a lot of the, a lot of the research actually spans both. So they're both considered challenges of, either what are, would be like circadian rhythm mismatch. So like your schedule is mismatched to the time zone that you're in. That would be classic. I just hopped on a jet and now the time is 12 hours different than what it was <laughs> when I left home. Um, or it's sort of considered like circadian a circadian rhythm shift or dysregulation, which can be caused by a, a whole host of things, even things like daylight savings time, which we just switched into. So um, this felt like a really relevant, um, a really relevant question for this week, because I feel like a large part of the world that just shifted an hour is dealing with a very similar challenge to what Sophie has to do every couple of weeks, which um, might be helpful for me to read Sophie's question and and then we can kind of dig in. Um, But yeah, I feel like this is, a, it's going to be relevant post-pandemic when, um, you know, we start 
traveling more again, hopefully, um, but also shift work and also even the things that we kind of all go through when we go into standard time or, or daylight time in the spring and fall. Awesome. I'm excited to hear it. Uh, so this question is from Sophie and Sophie wrote, I've been dialing in my nutrition activities and sleep and feel so much better for it. But due to my work schedule, every time I come off a rotation of night shift, it takes me three days to recover back to my new normal again. I started working 12-hour shifts, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for four days, then two days off, then 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. for four nights, then six days off to rest. It's like having, having jet lag every 16 days. Is there anything I can do to help and support my body through this? Many thanks, Sophie. Okay, I just want to like have a moment for Sophie and everybody who does this. Um, yeah. Because uh, there are so many people who are working night shift that many of us, like me, who've never experienced it, don't even understand how difficult it is on the body and what these people are doing for us. Uh, a lot of essential workers, I'm sure, have been thrown into all kinds of crazy schedules over the last, you know, plus year. And so I just, first of all, thank you to those people who are willing to do this because it helps everybody else, but also... Like, who? That's the, I. I don't know that I could do that. So good on you, Sophie, and everybody else. Well, and actually, I think this is a really interesting. Um, like, I remember when this alternation between day shifts and night shifts to kind of like even out. Like everybody has a, a chance to do day shifts, and everyone unfortunately has a chance to do night shifts. Like I remember when that was sort of introduced. I guess that dates me because it has been probably a couple of decades now. But um, but I sort of remember when that became a more common way to divide shift work, say, um, in hospitals, for example. Um, and prior to that, you would, you know, you would get your shift and it would be the same, you know, you would work nights all the time. And, you know, I understand the the importance of sort of balancing and sort of like making it fair so that everyone gets the same pain. But at the same time, like one of the things I want to start with is to talk about why having a consistent night shift would actually be better than going back and forth between a day shift and a night shift. And, um, and so kind of take a step back from Sophie's really specific question and talk about what that would look like in terms of circadian rhythm entrenchment, because really it's the, um, sort of forcing our circadian clock to adapt is harder on our bodies than living out of sync with the sun. And there's all these different biohacks that we can do to entrench circadian rhythms for whatever our day is, right? So if we're working uh, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., you know, say four days a week, which would be sort of a standard schedule, um, then our our day, you know, we're waking up maybe 6 p.m., right? Going to bed at 8 or 9 a.m., and, and so we're kind of like thinking our morning is everyone else's evenings, right? Our evening is everyone else's morning. Um, but what we can do in that situation is really work on what are called Zeitgebers. So this is like my favorite German <laughs> word. It means time giver. And it is really all of the different signals that help to entrench our biological clock, which Stacy, I'm going to say this word and it's, I want, I want everyone to know it's not in the show notes. This is something <laughs> I'm pulling out of my brain before I say it, because you remember what region of the brain our circadian, um, central circadian clock is housed in? Why would I remember that? 
it's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus. Yeah, good job. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like such a nerd fact. I know. That's just I have that in my head at all times. Um, that's because I think circadian rhythm entrenchment is really fascinating. And there's lots of ways that even when we work day shifts, we can kind of mess with our circadian rhythm entrenchment, right? So we can use bright lights indoors in the evenings. We can avoid spending time outside. We can um, eat at weird times, eat too late in the day. Um, we can over air condition our homes during the day. I mean, that can also mess with circadian rhythm entrenchment. There's lots of things that we do as just, um, you know, live, like going through living our lives that can actually mess with the system. And so one of the things that happens when we're working a shift that is out of sync with the sun is we kind of have to like over overwhelm the signal that's coming from the sun. So the way that um, we would do this if we're working night shifts is we would, A, make sure that our sleeping environment is dark, 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 which is more challenging if we're sleeping throughout the day. So that's where like blackout, like the, the super blackout, double blackout curtains, um, you know, where they have a, a good foot of overlap around the window and maybe there's blinds behind there too, like really making sure that that environment is as dark as possible. Going through um, the bedroom and like um, what I've done in my bedroom is anything that's on a, a charger that has a little LED light um what has you know several either several layers of masking tape or a couple layers of duct tape over top of it um so that um if i look really carefully i can see that the light's on if i need to know that something's actually plugged in properly um but it's not glowing brightly in my room and that's especially important for blue lights and green lights red lights are are not as important because that's doesn't interfere with our um, sort of nighttime circadian clock. Can I just um, have like a side tangent about why not all clocks or like carbon monoxide monitors and different sort of things don't automatically have the red light? Like, why do I go to a hotel and need to cover everything with a towel? Just side tangent. You know what I'm saying? I, it does feel like a strange, like, it, I feel like in the olden days. Ye olden all, days, all eh? Clocks, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all alarm clocks had red displays and it feels like a thing that's changed in the last decade or or a little bit more than that maybe where now there's like green blue or choose choose your color rainbow um yeah no i'm i'm with you on that little little soapbox um i feel like uh someone's thinking about pretty lights and not thinking about how that's affecting my sleep but i really care about my sleep and i don't really care about pretty lights well who's to say a red light's not pretty i okay I like we're red. moving on moving on um, okay, so um, the 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 thinking about the sleeping environment as being a really really important um, signal to our circadian clock. Um, other things that we can do in that sleeping environment is making sure it's pretty cold. So um, it turns out like light is our is the primary zeitgeber. The secondary zeitgeber is temperature shifts. So um, what we can do in uh like our our normal lives is have our thermostat set a little bit warmer during the day and a little bit cooler at night um and what we can do if we do shift work is reverse that <laughs> so that um it's colder while we're sleeping um there's also like some cool um like cooled mattresses and mattress pads and things like that that you can get um i have one called a chili pad that 
runs cooled water uh, through a mattress cover under my bed. So there's also ways that you can cool down uh, not just your whole bedroom, but like really just your bed to help entrench that um, circadian rhythm. Um, the other things are the times outside, right? So when your evening is, it's when everyone else's morning is, um, but that's a time to really avoid those sort of like bright lights, sunlight, um, even indoor lights can really inhibit um, your body's uh, melatonin production to, that helps prepare your body for sleep. So um, in that period of time, typically two to three hours before you would go to bed, um, where the, be the easiest thing is to wear amber tinted glasses, which block blue light. They're sometimes called blue blocking glasses, although you have to be careful that they're not the um, computer glasses, which don't block the full spectrum of blue that you need to block for supporting sleep. So make sure that the lenses are actually like a yellow or orange color. Um, if they look more like regular glasses, they're not blocking the full range of blue that you need to block to support melatonin. That's more about eye strain in front of a computer. Um, so amber tinted glasses, sometimes also called melatonin glasses. There's uh, roughly a bajillion different versions of there now. Um, and you can go as, as lo-fi as like yellow safety glasses from the hardware store for a buck 99. So it, it doesn't need to be a really sophisticated lens. Although the nice lenses do, they are much easier to see through, right? You do have much better vision and you can get them in prescription too. Um, other ways that you can sort of uh, hack that evening, make your make your body feel like it's evening is uh, turn off lights, uh, maybe close blinds, maybe have either some programmable LED light bulbs in uh, lights in your home so that you can have them sort of red and dim in the evenings, your evening, everyone else's morning. Um, or you can, um, you know, just stick with the amber glasses and avoid avoid screens, especially in that hour before you go to bed. So screens tend to have a lot of, of blue light. Um, so definitely the amber glasses and things like Night Shift, which you can program on uh, an Apple device, um, or you can install something like Flux on a PC. So there's lots of, there's great biohacks to make sure that your screens are also not providing you with tons of blue light. Um, and then we talked about melatonin on the show previously about how the science has really changed in terms of its use for sleep disorders. The classically, the best, um, the best effects of melatonin are in circadian rhythm um, shifts. So melatonin has the best effects for jet lag and shift workers. And so, I mean, you know, we can um, point to the old melatonin show in the show notes, but I, I do want to sort of summarize from there that a physiological dose, so similar to what our bodies would produce in ideal situations, is much lower than typically a lot of the, the you know, sublingual um tablets that we might find or drops that we might find in the store. So you might find uh, like one, three, and five milligrams in the store. Something that's physiological would probably be more like 300 to 500 milligrams. So like a third to a half of a one milligram tablet, um, or it's sort of easier if you can get the, the drops, that's easier to sort of dial in. So it doesn't need to be a huge dose um, to support circadian rhythms. Um, and then the, the last thing is stress. So um, our circadian clock is in our brain and it's like a master clock. And then uh, we have what are called peripheral clocks that's going to become important again later. So 
make sure we're, we're uh, taking notes here. Uh, so peripheral clock is basically, um, it's kind of like having uh, like Greenwich Mean Time and then your wristwatch and you set your wristwatch or how our phones like automatically sync, right? Sync the time to the cell tower or they automatically adjust when we walk off a plane in a new time zone. So uh, think of the peripheral clocks. Every single cell in our body has a clock. It's keeping time. Um, because our cells um, and every system in the body prioritizes different functions based on whether or not we're asleep or awake, basically. This is why it's really important. And so, um, so all of these peripheral clocks are being synced to our master clock in our brain through the signals of two main hormones, melatonin and cortisol. So these are our two main circadian rhythm hormones. Melatonin peaks a little bit before we go to bed, um, it's highest um, sort of right around bedtime. By morning, it reaches its ebb. That's when cortisol comes on. Cortisol spikes um, usually about an hour or so before you wake up in the morning. Um, and then it gradually decreases during the day. But of course, cortisol is also our main stress hormone, as we talked about on the show recently. So um, regulating cortisol to make sure we have that lovely spike shortly before we wake up, what whenever our morning is, is really important. And then making sure it's not too high when our melatonin is supposed to be high and we're supposed to be getting ready for bed is really important. So stress management is really, really helpful for um, helping the body adjust to a circadian rhythm shift, but also for circadian rhythm entrenchment like every day. And the other big thing here, if we're talking about the situation of just working night shift all the time, is making sure that we're not vitamin D deficient. And there's there's two reasons for this. One is if we're working night shift, we're probably not getting a whole lot of sun exposure. So we're probably not making very much of our own vitamin D. Um, so And vitamin D, of course, is <clears throat> super important for health in general. So we want to make sure that we're not deficient or insufficient. But the other aspect here is that one of the roles of vitamin D is uh, biorhythm regulation. So um, there's still like more understanding needed about how vitamin D deficiency affects jet lag, but there is a little bit of preliminary data at least showing that um, the on average, if we're more vitamin D deficient, we have a harder time getting over jet lag. Um, so definitely more science needed to, to really understand that system. Um, but regardless, vitamin D is important for biorhythms and important for all kinds of things. So those are sort of like the best, like an ideal situation in shift work would be sticking to the same shift all the time and then adjusting our circadian clock around that. Um, of course, there's like this, there's this aspect of like, what if you work nights all the time and you want to spend time with your friends or family on your days off? Um, when do you go grocery shopping, right? Like there is, even in this ideal situation of working nights all the time, there's still this like extra piece of like, okay, but I have kids and I want to hang out with them. Um, so one of the things that we can do in that situation is, um, part of it is just be creative, right? Like go grocery shopping at the beginning of your day, which is right before the store closes, right? Or um, right when the store opens, right after you, you know, got off of work and are about to, to go home. Um, so there's, there is that piece, right? You can meet your friends uh, post-pandemic uh, for your breakfast and it's their dinner, right? Or vice versa. Um, same with, uh, gyms. I mean, there are 24 hour gyms now too. So there's, there's that as an option, but 
you know, going when the gym opens right after your shift is a great way to, you know, make sure that that still fits into your day. Um, and there's also the opportunity if you wanted to write in this classic situation of four days on three days off, you could partially shift during those three days off. So say shift two to three hours instead of 12. So that frees up more daylight daytime for our family activities, but it's not as jarring on your body as that 12 hour shift, which unfortunately is what Sophie's work schedule is. Yeah, this, I mean, it makes sense to me. I also can see how if you did have a family, you wouldn't want to be night shift all the time and how that could be difficult. You know, it's interesting. Like, again, I'm just, I'm evidently, it's a side tangent day. Um, My grandfather did night shift work with my grandmother. They were both government employees and he watched the kids all day long while she was at work. And then went to work at night. And I used to always ask, like, how did you do that? I don't, I don't understand. When when did you sleep? And it wasn't just like a little while, you know what I mean? Like this was their plan until the kids were old enough to be in school and left alone. Like I, I cannot imagine. And that's why I just like shout out at the beginning of the show for people who are able to do this, like to, to be able to make it work. But I, I love that we're kind of like diving into some of these things that you can do to support your health while you are doing it because you don't want to either help, you know, others help your family, you know, whatever the cause is for this night shift work that you're doing to be detrimental to you. Um, one of the things I don't think we've covered it. And I'm wondering if kind of you're going to go into this as um, like facts or data on what we see in people who do night shift work. Like I've heard things like, you know, propensity to heart attack and different kinds mm-hmm. of things from lack of sleep. Yeah, I, I did not pull statistics on the um, health associations with shift work or jet lag, but there is um, a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, a higher risk of diabetes, a higher risk of um, obesity, which of course is can be a symptom of a lot of other things. Um, and um, there's actually even higher risk of autoimmune disease. Um, so one of the challenges with shift work is it can cause insomnia or at least um, periodic, especially when you're adjusting to a change in, in sleep schedule, it can cause um, poor quality sleep. It can cause at least um, a sort of a transient insomnia, right? So insomnia for a couple of days doesn't quite actually meet the, the chronic insomnia criteria. Um, but that erosion of sleep is so fundamental to insulin signaling, to um, metabolism, to immune function. Um, And as soon as you start to say those words, right, you can really easily see where the sort of like metabolic syndrome collection of um, conditions, as well as inflammatory conditions in general, would be worsened by, um, by shift work. And it really has to do with um, how shift work impacts sleep quality. Um, and it's impacts sleep quality through this um, disruption of the circadian clock. Makes sense. I just wanted to call that out. because <laughs> I mean, the whole reason, there's a reason beyond just you feel tired, yeah. right? It's yeah. not just, it's not just that it's miserable and you might be like foggy and, and um, you know, 
have, because there's the other thing about being tired, right, is it impacts judgment and reaction times. You're more prone to accidents, right? There's a lot of things happening in terms of cognition that are um, not just like unenjoyable to experience, but potentially dangerous, right? Like you wouldn't want to be that tired and operate heavy machinery, like driving home from a night shift, right? Like that can be... Um, Even truck drivers, like the yeah. the statistics on... Um, not just their health, but how, you know, how frequently accidents are happening because of the way that they're paid, you, you know what I mean? And they push themselves and oh, it just, it's honestly like breaks my heart a little bit. Uh, for sure. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about um, this challenge of, you know, basically having three days of jet lag every 16 days, um, like what Sophie is experiencing. And let's first say that three days of jet lag for a 12 hour shift is actually pretty normal. Um, so if you were going to hop on a jet and fly halfway around the world and be, you know, 12 hour time zone, um, difference having, you know, jet lag for three days, um, is completely expected. Um, so there's a lot of things that we can do similarly to adjust to a shift in work schedule as we can to adjust for jet lag. And actually like the research that I'm pulling from, some of it is, um, you know, very like detailed circadian clock um, type studies. Uh, a lot of it is, is looking at jet lag um, as, a, as a model rather than shift work as a model, but it is sort of well understood in the scientific literature that um, it's the same thing, right? The the challenge to the body is the same, with the difference that if you were um, if you were flying somewhere, one of the things that you can do to help your body adjust more quickly is like go outside and um, have that light signal, right? So um, I already mentioned that the most important zeitgeber, right? The most important thing that is setting our circadian clock is the light dark cycle. Um, the second most important thing is the temperature cycle, and so um, so you know, having our, our eyes detecting this bright light from the sun um, at uh, your sort of like destination time is really, really important. And so one of the things that even researchers will say, um, if you were going to do this on an airplane and not, um, and not through shift work, would be to like, as soon as you get on that plane, try to go directly into your destination time zone and stick to it as much as possible. Um, uh, one of the things that we can do if this is shift work is as soon as we get off those nights um, is try to get right into our day shift schedule. So forcing our bodies rather than um, trying to shift like three hours a day for several days that will actually prolong jet lag. So, um, so it's instead it is like <laughs> rip off the bandaid and, and jump right in and sort of force the body to adjust uh, faster um, one of the things that can happen when we do this is, uh, a lot of fatigue and, um, as we're like, say delaying, um, what, like until we go to bed as well as, um, harder trouble sleeping, especially if we're going to bed earlier than we normally would. So this is where a higher dose of melatonin, say up around one milligram, at least for a few nights, 
um, actually has some really good science and actually even doses up to five milligrams have been shown to be really helpful for jet lag. So play around with dose. I always think a physiological dose is um, always better. Um, but this is definitely a case where, where uh, saturating the system a little bit can be really helpful because that can also suppress cortisol. Managing stress, uh, super, 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 super important. So cortisol, as I already mentioned, has to shift too. And this is where our recent show on nutrients relating to uh, the stress response are really important. So this would be where a vitamin C supplement would be really helpful, an omega-3 um, like a high quality fish oil supplement would be really helpful and potentially a magnesium supplement would be very, very helpful. Um, and then um, some other, you know, we've sort of talked about um, the light. One of the things that um, if you were going to shift back and forth between light and dark, having a light box, they're really inexpensive now um, compared to the olden days. Um, at least 10,000 lux bright white light that you can um put in your environment, like you could put it on the table while you're eating breakfast. Um, but having that, um, in order to, uh, I would recommend using it, whether you're working night shifts or day shifts and use it I, at the breakfast table would be sort of an, like an ideal situation. So, um, as you go from your breakfast to the next breakfast, like think about all of the different things that are helping to entrench your circadian clock and, um, and, routinize as many of those things as you can. So the the dark environment, right? You're gonna be able to close those blackout curtains whether you're working days or nights, so that's great. Um, you're gonna be able to put on your amber glasses two hours before you go to bed, whether you're working days or nights, that's great. Um, the other piece of that is that bright light exposure. And so having a, um, a light box that you can, you know, have, um, you know, ideally like an hour would be great. If you were just looking to, regularly entrenched circadian rhythms as little as 20 minutes can be really, really helpful. But if you're looking to really force your brain to shift and, and sort of realign a circadian clock, um, longer is better. So like if you can have that, um, have that with you and they make little travel ones too, that you could potentially like bring to work and use on a break. Um, the idea would be though, is that it's best to use it say in the first half of your day. And I'm using air quotes cause it, your day is going to go back and forth um, every couple of weeks, um, but using it sometime in that first half of the day and using it consistently. So um, if it's always at breakfast, it's always at breakfast, whether you're um, coming off of days or coming off of nights. Um, so that is a really important signal. And then what's really interesting is the research on exercise. Exercise shows that it can help your circadian clock adapt. It can help it shift. Um, it can help improve sleep. And then the, the, the science is completely mixed on when the best time of day is to exercise. And what it looks like is that it doesn't matter as much when you exercise, as long as you exercise at a predictable time. So you exercise at roughly the same time every day. So if you always work out in the morning before you go to work, like make it your morning no matter what shift you're working, right? So if you're working 7 a.m., you're working out at, let's say, 6 a.m. Um, I realize timing-wise that doesn't really probably leave time for a shower, but you know we're, we're, we're making up numbers here. Um, and then if you're working 7 p.m., then you would work out at uh, 6 p.m., right? So like relative to your work schedule, work out at the same time. If you prefer to work out in the evening, your evening before you go to bed, do that 
no matter what. So then you have these really important um, uh, zeitgebers, right? Things that are entrenching your circadian clock. Um, think about their they're when you do those are in relation to your work schedule. So then when you go from days to nights or from nights to days, those things all then shift 12 hours. Um, meal timing is also a zeitgeber. So like, don't skip breakfast on jet lag days. Like you might not feel hungry because your body's like, I don't know what day it is. Um, but making sure that your, your meals are sort of similar, your breakfasts are kind of always the same, uh, at least in terms of like size and sort of like overall composition, same with lunch and dinner, um, you know, make sure to, to respect the fasting period. So um, there's been some interesting studies showing that overnight fasts can also help circadian shifts. So ideally we would fast sort of probably about 12 hours, like eat uh, dinner at 7 p.m. and breakfast at 7 a.m., um, 12 to 14 hours, right? So an earlier dinner can actually be better for, for sleep quality. So making sure to respect that time. And that's where uh, sort of dealing with the the symptoms of jet lag can be really challenging because one of the, our sort of like go-to ways of keeping ourselves awake is grazing. But there's actually some really interesting research showing that grazing can actually prolong jet lag, which I think is fascinating. Absolutely it is. If only I could find my mute button fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I um, wanted to kind of dig into for Sophie, uh, especially because Sophie has um, recently, you know, really tackled some, some nutrition changes, was looking at where nutrition and circadian rhythm shifts can meet. Um, so I mentioned vitamin D. Um, for biorhythms, it's always best to take vitamin D in the morning if, um, if Sophie gets tested and realizes that she's insufficient or deficient and needs to take vitamin D to supplement. Um, there's also, of course, like the nutrients for the healthy stress response. Those would be better to take in whatever the morning is as well. Um, and there's actually some interesting research, um, specifically in jet lag, showing that we produce more oxidants um, when we're, we're jet lagged. So there's been some studies showing that um, antioxidants, uh, increasing antioxidants can be helpful. And the, the two antioxidants that have been best studied here are astaxanthin, which is a um, animal-based carotenoid, which is pretty cool. It is the thing that makes salmon pink. Um, so, but you can find that pretty much in any, any kind of seafood that has a, a red, orange, or pink color. Um, and they, they certainly make supplemental astaxanthin as well. Um, and vitamin E is the other one that has been shown to be particularly helpful for combating the oxidant formation during jet lag. Um, so vitamin E, we're finding in things like avocado, nuts and seeds, um, olives, olive oil. Um, those are going to be our best sources of vitamin E, coconut oil. I, that probably falls under nuts and seeds. And here is the coolest study that I found in researching um, this for Sophie. I found this study. Now, this, um, this study was looking at the peripheral clock. See, I said we'd get back to peripheral clock. Um, so what they were looking at is how the um, specifically the the liver peripheral clock would sink and they were looking at how well the liver peripheral clock could 
uh, shift in response to different uh, macronutrient ratios in the diet. And uh, one of the things they did, these pretty big extremes, so they did like 100% glucose, 100% sucrose, 100% cornstarch. They did 100% um, casein as 100% protein. They did 100% soybean oil. And what was really interesting, and then they did various blends. So there's all kinds of different blends as well. These are on rodents or on humans? These are <clears throat> rodents. Okay. These were super, super on mice. Okay. Um, so not very many humans who are like, I just want to eat cornstarch. Right. I, yeah, I was imagining like that can't be. Um, and interestingly, they compared it against fasting because fasting allows for this like faster adjustment of the circadian clock, which is why respecting the overnight fast is so helpful for jet lag. Um, and what they found was that every extreme basically stuck the liver clock where it was and it couldn't adjust. Um, so it couldn't actually shift. And that the best situation was a balanced diet, but that especially there seems to be a role for insulin. This study couldn't you know, super explain what it was, but what they were able to show was that having some glucose was really, really important for the circadian shift. So this means that a low carb diet would be a pretty bad idea if you wanted to get over jet lag or a circadian shift due to shift work quickly, but it also means like low fat or low protein or super high. Any of those would also be bad. So all of the different macronutrient extremes were problematic and all of the different ways that they studied sort of more balanced macronutrients showed um, that it was helpful for um, the adjustment of the peripheral clock. So that's really cool because um, what that's telling us is that A, it's another way to come at the importance of balanced macros, which we've talked about approximately a bajillion times on the show. Um, it's another way of sort of thinking about um, this link, though, between um, hormones, right? Because we produce like a little bit of cortisol every time we eat. Um, that's one of the reasons why we want to avoid grazing, um, especially to try to keep ourselves awake uh, after we've done a shift like this. So, um, so it really helps to sort of reinforce this link between diet and hormone regulation and then hormone regulation and biorhythms in general, right? So this, this paper was specifically looking at the peripheral clock, but one of the things that has to happen when we're getting over jet lag is the entrenchment of both. And there is a sort of crosstalk between the central clock in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus, as well as the, the peripheral clock in all of our cells. Did the rest of the listeners just do an active eye roll when you said that word again for the fun yeah. of it? Yeah. Okay. They all just did. Checking. They all did. I um, feel it necessary just to kind of like, point out a couple of things that you said, and I know that you know what you mean, but maybe new listeners don't know. So when we say a low carb diet, we're talking about like a very low carb diet. And we strongly recommend and have multiple shows on, you know, uh, vegetable consumption and different kinds of things that you can go back to um, getting your carbohydrates from fiber sources. That's I like to think of it as fiber, protein, and fat versus carbs, protein, yeah, and fat yes. because 
um, if what you're doing is balancing, and I'm using quotation marks there, your carbohydrates with your um, proteins and your fats, but they're coming from all refined sources, you're going to miss out on fiber, which we know um, supports the gut microbiome and all different kinds of things that is integrated into what you're talking about right now, Sarah. And so I just want to like, when I want to pull out this idea that when we say a low carb diet might present problems, we're talking about a very low carb diet. And we're not talking about what your body will naturally eat if you're getting in the recommended amounts of fruits and vegetables. Like that's, that's what we're, (laughs) that's the ideal state if you can do it. And part of the problem is, is if you're sleep deprived, one of the first things that your body does is crave those refined carbohydrates. And so Mm -hmm. if you can fill that with fruit, for example, it's going to be really beneficial for balancing your hormones and getting you back into a healthy rhythm um, for a number of things. And I I love that you pointed out this thing about fasting because we did a show on intermittent fasting and I listened and learned a lot on that show, but somehow I had this like light bulb moment when you were talking about this particular effect of the biorhythms and the 12 to 14 hour fasting period telling your body that that is sleepy time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Because I mean, I've seen endless jokes on the internet. I was watching like a Netflix show the other day and someone was on a blind date and someone was like, I'm on, you know, my 18 hour fast and they fell asleep at the table. And I think of it, (laughs) I know, I think of it as like like an energy drain joke, right? I think of it as Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you don't, if you're not having food, then you can't have energy, which that's a whole nother topic altogether. I'm not stating that as a fact but I think that's where the joke comes from but in fact now that I'm thinking about it I'm like if you haven't eaten in that long your body's like hey bro it must be time to go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's exactly though what's happening right so um we sort of prioritize one of one of the things that we're trying to prioritize when we're sleeping is things like tissue repair right we're we're our body doesn't want to prioritize digestion while we're sleeping. Digestion actually increases our metabolism. And that's why if we eat too close to going to bed, um, it actually prevents us from getting into deep sleep. So we'll actually sleep more lightly. Um, And normally when we're sleeping, um, like normal sleep architecture would have the majority of our deep sleep be in the first half of the night. So if we eat too close to going to bed, which prevents us from going to deep sleep when we normally would, then we're not going to get the same amount of deep restorative sleep that we would if we just pulled back our dinner a little bit earlier. So there's been a variety of studies showing that a actually a like complex carbohydrate rich dinner about four to five hours. That means balanced, but that includes a something like a sweet potato, right? So like a balanced meal with a protein source and some uh, fiber. Um, there's actually separate studies showing that a high fiber diet can support uh, sleep um, on a regular basis as well. So that meal though, about four to five hours before we go to bed is sort of ideal. So it's enough time to like fully digest, get our little metabolism uh, boost from eating, have that come back down, and then not be into like the, you know, also in this time, we've got things like melatonin coming on, which is helping to reduce hunger, helping to actually lowers our our core body temperature, which is pretty cool. Um, And so if we can stick to dinner, you know, if you go to bed at say 10 p.m., that would be dinner around 5 or 6 p.m., Um, That's kind of like this ideal window to not be like hungry as you're going to bed. 
um, but also like be done digesting so that your body can do all of the other things it's supposed to be doing while you're sleeping. Makes sense. Okay. What else? What else can we do symptom wise if we're just can't shake the jet lag feel? Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing is like to, to recognize that a couple of days of that jet lag feel is still going to be pretty normal. Um, you know, I, I doubt that even implementing all of these, Sophie might be able to get it down to like two days. Um, but still like this two to three days of, you know, getting the body to shift is still going to be pretty normal. So what do you do, um, to, to manage the symptoms of jet lag? Um, so it is totally okay to have some caffeine in your morning to help perk you up. Um, but make sure not to overdo it and not to consume caffeine as a, as a crutch too late in whatever your day is during that, that time, because that's going to erode your sleep quality. So one of the things to help get through jet lag as quickly as possible is supporting sleep on a normal sleep schedule of the, again, the destination time. So whatever you're, you're going to, not from what you've come from. Um, there's a ton of great studies showing that power naps can be super helpful. Um, and so these are actually naps that are 10 to 30 minutes long. So the idea is that you stay in stage one and stage two sleep, that you never actually go into stage three. So you never actually have any deep sleep and you need to be in stage two sleep for at least three minutes for this to work. Um, so stage one, uh, depending on how quickly we're falling asleep. Stage one typically lasts between like eight and 10 minutes, eight and 15 minutes before we go into stage two. Stage two then typically lasts up to about 20 minutes before we go into stage three, which is why that 10 to 30 minute range is typically enough for most people to get that three minutes in stage two, um, but stop us from, from getting any stage three time. If we get any stage three time, the way you know that happened is you'll feel groggy. Um, whereas if you stayed in these lighter phases of sleep, um, when your alarm, whatever goes off at 30 minutes, you'll like poof awake and you'll be like, ah, oh, sweet. And there's a bunch of studies showing that these short power naps can help improve cognitive performance. It can help you feel more energetic and more alert, um, and that they don't take away from nighttime sleep. So that's also really important is that you can have three, four, five power naps in a day and should still be able to sleep your normal amount at night. Um, so that becomes a really helpful tool, especially for that tra first transition day. Um, and then like making sure not to rely on sugar or snacking as a crutch, because that is um, taking away from this important Zeitgeber of a balanced diet um, and the the fasting time in between eating and then think about how activity can, can be really, um, energizing too. Um, you know, and make, just making sure that especially on that first transition day, that the activity you're choosing is something that doesn't require, uh, awesome judgment or reflexes in order to be safe. Right. So, <laughs> Um, I would say like that would, that would not be a good day for box jumps. Let's just throw out box jumps as a good example of something that you really want to make sure that your timing is, uh, spot on. Otherwise that box takes a bite out of your shin. This is why I'm so impressed with athletes that travel all the time, like from varying time zones to elevations and all that kinds of stuff. Like that's 
it's so impressive to me when people, you know what I mean? Like not just that they're doing it, but consider what their body has gone through to travel to a foreign country or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's also interesting to me. I want to shout out, we did a show. I don't remember what it's called. Maybe you remember where we talked about the importance of breakfast. Um, It Mm might've been the intermittent fasting show where we talked about. I think we um, did them in two different shows, but um, we can definitely, it might've been the intermittent fasting show or it might've been two that were like back to back. Either way, we will put links in the show notes. Um, Because what you're talking about reminds me also of how we've talked previously about how important breakfast is. And if you are going to intermittent fast, how choosing the nighttime meal versus the breakfast meal might make more sense in terms of, Mm -hmm. you know, healthy hormones and stuff. And this is um, kind of a good reminder of that science that we talked about as well, because it's your, your way to tell your body to wake up, to be productive and to all that kind of stuff, right? If you're eating breakfast um, versus staying in a fast and then not waking it up from the digestive perspective like you've outlined. So I I always think it's interesting when all these science things kind of come back together to support one another or different things that we've talked about. So um, I do want to remind people, you mentioned earlier in the show about daylight being a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do as the family when it's like daylight savings time is I get the kids outside for more time than they normally would like force them to go outside (laughs) um, and get sunlight if you have sunlight where you are you know if it's a rainstorm or something that's unfortunate but for the couple of days following daylight savings time and it makes such a difference in our ability to adapt to that like I would say within two to three days versus a week you know what I mean where previously we would have taken um and also for me, for jet lag, um, one of my favorite things, I think I've mentioned this before, I go around handing out um, liver pills or organ pills or, you know, whatever your um, B12 of choice is. Um, but instead of taking like energy shots or things that might call your name, I know, Sarah, you mentioned caffeine. Um, these kind of like energy shots that are out there have more than just caffeine in them. B vitamins is one of the things they have. Yeah. Um, make sure that you take liver pills with you when you travel and take them first thing in the morning that is super helpful for me yeah I'll actually like expand on that because there's a fair amount of research showing that it's because b vitamins are sort of ubiquitously used in the production of um, cellular energy so they're used in something called the Krebs cycle um, also called the citric acid cycle so it's basically how our cells produce uh, adenosine triphosphate, ATP, which is the actually the energy molecule that our cells use um, to do anything that requires energy, right? So any chemical reaction that doesn't automatically happen when you put two chemicals together, those are all chemical reactions that our cells facilitate through an enzyme, and that is a process that requires energy. So that's what ATP does. Um, anything that needs to be built in our cells requires energy, right? So that's that's what ATP does. And B vitamins are basically all used in the production of energy, which is why if you're even short on a single B vitamin, fatigue is sort of a a natural um, sort of symptom of that. And B12 especially, right? B12 deficiency very much manifests uh, very similarly to anemia. And actually B12 deficiency can cause, does cause pernicious anemia. So there's this other other link with how B vitamins are impacting the metabolism of other nutrients. So um, 
there it is sort of well known that taking uh like B complex can be energizing, but I love Stacy that you're emphasizing how important it is to get from whole food sources because liver is a great source of every single B vitamin, particularly great source of B12. And um and while there there isn't any research showing that taking B vitamins or eating B vitamin rich foods can hasten the adaption of the circadian clock to a um, shift. It certainly could be very, very helpful for the symptom management just by, you know, helping to regulate energy and make it easier for ourselves to produce energy on a day where, um, you know, typically if our cortisol is high when it's not supposed to be high, one of the things that happens is it becomes really challenging to access our, our stored energy. So whatever we can do to make sure that our cells are being able to make ATP and have the energy they need to function can be really helpful. I just want to let our listeners know that I literally put that into the show notes as you were talking and you had zero time to research. So that's all off the top of Sarah's head. (sighs) All right. With that, I want to thank you, Sarah, for covering this topic and to Sophie for asking the awesome question. I think it is well-timed and I hope will help people, especially like you said, as we cross our fingers and hope that we get to do a little more traveling in the near future. Um, If you want to hear more on our real thoughts on the show, what we really thought, the behind the scenes, and sometimes really good tips and science end up coming up during the Patreon shows, make sure to pop over. Um, You can just search for the whole view in Patreon, whether you're doing it in the app or on your um, computer or anything like that. And it does support us so that we can have shows like today where there isn't a sponsor and, um, we can just dive into things that we want to talk about because you wonderful people are supporting us over on Patreon. So thank you for listening and we hope we will check in with you, talk to you over on Patreon soon. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week. Do you love the whole view podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. We uh, installed a complete new Wi-Fi system over the weekend, and my signal's like twice as strong at my computer. So I'm kind of, like I'm hoping that was just a Skype thing because yeah. there should no longer be my internet's the challenge. I can even hardwire my computer. Like, well, it asked me how the call was after, so I feel like Skype knew it made a mistake. You know, because it, it doesn't did the always same thing. To it doesn't me. always ask you mm-hmm. that. You know, so. it does not. Sometimes it knows it did it did bad. But listen, and then... listen, Skype. We love you. You have been a wonderful free service and you're always stable. And I'm just petting you with love right now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't hear us bad talking you and give us all the problems today. No, thanks. I'm going to pass on that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Can I go refill my tea? No. Please, pretty please. It's cold. It's cold. I didn't bring my regular. My tea hadn't steeped long enough. So I just grabbed a small cup and then please. Okay. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.